as a citizen of the kingdom. We should be living as citizens of the kingdom. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to clarify some of, your, some of this idea about the people who go wrong. Did you have something you were wanting to say? Okay. Uh, so hopefully as I go in, because I'm going to give you some direct quotes, and some of them are lengthy because I don't want to misrepresent some of these figures who I'm going to be sharing, who, who actually want to say the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Some of them go to, so far to say is that the message of the cross is not the gospel. Okay. But we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. And I actually changed last minute the order of this. I wanted to, I originally was going to start with some of the people and what they're saying and then go to scripture, but I wanted to front end the scriptures. I want that to be first and foremost in our thinking, and it was a last minute uh, change. So let's look at some of these passages, because we do believe that the, the Bible speaks about the gospel in both senses. We need to see that so we can understand where they're coming from uh, before we start refuting any errors. So these first passages, I think they're going to be familiar. I just recently did a series on the gospel with the youth, and most of these passages are passages that were some of the first ones that I went to. So beginning with Acts 10, 36, and 43, which reads, um, the word which God sent to the, this is, I believe, is this Peter or Paul at this point? Peter. This is Peter. Peter and Cornelius. Peter, at this point in time, is preaching. It says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. We notice this throughout the proclamations of the sermons and acts that they're continually reminding us that Jesus is king. But what is central to this idea of peace through Jesus Christ? Is this a general peace that he's making just the world a better place where everybody's just going to live in happy bliss with one another in this age? Well, Peter then goes on to specify the aspect of peace which he has in mind here. And he goes on, you see that I skip from 36 to 43, but he culminates this section with saying, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The point being here, that central to the gospel message we see even in the Sermon in Acts, is that the peace of the good news, which is through the forgiveness of sins, it is central to the gospel message. And even as I go through these, as I'm making points a lot, there will be some of that, okay, yes, I agree with that, what's the point, what are we getting at, this all seems very obvious to me. And I hope all of this seems obvious to you. But then, so another uh, key passage, Romans 1, 16 through 17. I'm guessing for many of you, if you said, what is the gospel, where would you turn to uh, define the gospel, for many of you, this would be the first passage you would go to. It's a nice, clear statement. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Some have called this the topic sentence of the book of Romans. And we see this, in many ways, just being unpacked throughout the entire remaining chapters of that book. And those who want to read Scripture in light of Scripture and want to contend for anything else than the, the work of Christ to forgive sinners being central to the gospel message are going to have to grapple with Paul's central message in the book of Romans. Another uh, passage that I'm guessing many people would turn to if asked where to... I understand the gospel and scripture. 1 Corinthians 15. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, by which you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. Notice, that Paul here has no problem talking about the gospel by which you are saved, that that is central to it. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Again, we see central to this detailed articulation of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus tied directly to him saving sinners. In 1 Corinthians 1, 17-18, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and what is central to that gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. I hope it's clear. The Bible routinely speaks about the central promise of the gospel message is the redemption that, and the salvation that we have through Christ. Any questions about the zoom lens gospel aspect of the gospel? All right. So let's move on to the wide-angle lens of the gospel. Remember, this is really answering a different question, which is, what is the whole good news of Christianity? And the point here is to say, when people want to say, well, the, the gospel is more than just that you're saved from your sins. We don't deny that. That we are saved unto something. We are saved into being reconciled with God. And when we are reconciled with God, we get to partake in all of the promises that he has given to his people. And sometimes the Bible does talk about the gospel in those big terms. Matthew 4.23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Where a lot of these people go who want to focus on the gospel of the kingdom, they'll say something along these lines. Jesus hasn't died yet. Jesus is preaching the gospel, but he's saying nothing about his atoning work. And so they say the gospel must be something bigger than that. The gospel must be uh, really more about the big, uh, the big picture aspect of it. It was interesting, though, when I did teach that, uh, some, that series with the youth group on the gospel, I actually opened with this, and I opened with that very question. I said, how is Jesus preaching the gospel if he hasn't even died yet? I was really impressed with the answers that the youth of our church gave. I was very impressed with Sadie's answer to this question. Do you want to give the church the answer that you gave to that, Sadie? No, you don't remember. Okay, that's fine. I, I didn't expect you to want to say that anyways. Um, now, I, didn't, I should have written it down, but Sadie more or less said, uh, Jesus is the gospel. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus' central work in the incarnation was his redeeming work. So yes, he's declaring the gospel, that the, the, the kingdom of God has come, and the king is here. But as the gospel story develops, as we look at the gospel accounts, what is the climax of the story in all four gospel accounts? What are all of them pointing to? 
They are pointing to the king who gave his life for his people. To bring peace, yes, to bring reconciliation. But peace and reconciliation, first and foremost, with the God with whom they were his enemies. They were under his just and righteous condemnation. But many people want to say, see, the gospel is more than just forgiveness. Yes, but then they want to go even further and say, the center of the gospel isn't forgiveness, and that's where we have it come with them. So there are more passages where we see this broad understanding of the gospel. We see a similar passage in Luke, and we see this in a lot of the sermons in Acts. A lot, you, I don't know if you've ever been reading through the book of Acts and thought to yourself as you're reading these sermons, that doesn't seem to be the kind of gospel presentation that I often hear. I think it's a superficial reading, but you might be struck by the fact that each one of those gospel messages doesn't clearly lay out the plan of salvation. Man is sinner. Uh, man is uh, in sin. Christ came, took on flesh, died on the cross, atoned for our sins. Now if you believe, you can be a part of that. And I think that you have to understand these sermons and acts, but this is a big point that these guys will try to make. They'll say the gospel announcement is not narrowly forgiveness. The gospel announcement is the whole kingdom, and as part of that, there is forgiveness. But you have to read those sermons within the context of all of Scripture. And when you read them within the context of all of Scripture, and you understand what the Messiah does, and and you understand what is central to who the Messiah is and what he accomplished, then you will see that just because Peter or Paul doesn't uh, lay out the gospel in the way that we might see in a tract, that doesn't mean that we have the gospel wrong. Any questions about the wide-angle aspect of the gospel? Doug? Just a comment. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're reading the letters again, and you know, Lewis, I think, was a, he saw this. He, he, you know, he had Scrutate make it the great thing in the temptation of the, of the sinners to or the one who's now repented and appears to be converted to Christ to make his religion a means to some other end. And he includes you know, social justice, mm-hmm. reforming society, you know, all of that. So his actual conversion to Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the you know, repentance that he's given, the gift of faith, all of that is just a means to some other temple. And, and to my ear, that's what the wide angle guys are saying. It's the first. You know, the, it, anytime you say, you know, well, it's not just about you know, this most important central event mm-hmm. in all human history, it's something beyond that, I get nervous. My biggest problem, you know, is I'm a sinner and I need my sins. Absolutely. Worship. Yep. Yeah, and we're going to see that a lot of these people, the broad lens, it ends up being to justify, to strengthen or bolster the argument of Christians need to be engaged in social action. Christians need to be engaged in social justice, but we'll get there. Kate, you have a question? Yeah, in your last passage, Acts 13. Mm hmm. Um, 
No, not really. <laughs> well, I'll dig deeper into that. Um, the, the point is being, j just to get a sampling of this idea of, we don't see the atonement spoken of in each one of these passages. We don't see it, the cross um, directly, but these broader appeals to the broad promises of the gospel, and those, those passages do exist. Though, if you think about it, he's preaching that in Pisidian Antioch, mm -hmm. at the synagogue, in which the Jews already knew the need of atonement of yeah. the Messiah. Mm -hmm. All he's trying to do is to make sure they know that that Messiah is Jesus. That's the point of the sermon, right? Yeah. So they knew what the gospel was, they just didn't know for sure who the Savior was, and he's, he's saying, here, you need atonement, you know that's not you, it's in the sacrifice of somebody else, here's the one. Yes, that was a much better way of saying what I was trying to say earlier of reading it in the context of Scripture. <laughs> okay, because these Jews knew the Scripture. Did you say the same thing yesterday? Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry for not listening better to you, Alex. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not sure I'm going to have time for your story, though. <laughs> okay. Andrew? Yes, Linda? That promise that was written up there, that promise was of our Messiah. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to actually, for sake of time, uh, DeYoung and Gilbert go from, uh, show some passages where you actually see both aspects, and you see them being tied together. I'm not going to take time to go through those passages now, because I do want to just give you a glimpse of the bigger conversation. So this is Greg Gilbert. He's the co-author of the book, and he is the pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, if you're not for in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, is that it? Is that where Louisville is? Okay, sorry. I get lost on uh, my southern geography. Okay. But if you don't know, what I do know about Louisville, it's like the heartland of Southern Baptistism. The SBTS, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, with Albert Moeller as their president. Uh, and that's where this guy is doing work for. So to be a pastor of one of their bigger churches, he is a significant figure within SBTS or SBT circles. Now, don't be discouraged by that. He is, no, we, we like the SB. We like, there are a lot of guys in the SBC that we like, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we agree with on the gospel. So in 2010, he wrote a little book called What is the Gospel? In fact, we have a distilled version of it in a tract on our bulletin board back there, and it has the exact same cover. And in it, he, he presents a, he gives a presentation of the gospel, which we are very familiar with, which we affirm, and we think is faithful to the scriptures. In simple form, it lays out that man is accountable to God, and speaks of the Imago Dei, and that our problem is sin against him and speaks of uh, man's fall into sin and original sin, and that the solution to this is salvation through Christ and his substitutionary atonement, and that we can be included in that salvation by faith and repentance. And we would hope that this wouldn't be controversial in the evangelical circles, right? We would hope that evangelicals, I mean, it's in our name, Evangel, it's that we are the gospel people. That this should not be controversial. But we also shouldn't be too surprised if it is. I mean, after all, if, if the Apostle Paul had to rebuke the Apostle Peter regarding the gospel, 
The Apostle Peter, being a man who sat directly under the teaching of Jesus for three years and was commissioned directly by him to establish the church, how much more should we expect those within our own camp to falter on this topic? All the more reason for us to have lessons like this where we are bolstering and strengthening our understanding of it and for addressing with subtle ways, sometimes, and not so subtle ways that people go wrong. So, we're going to spend some time looking at the ways some people have gone wrong. And I'm going to begin with those who have directly criticized Gilbert and then move outward from there. I'm also going to begin with the most heinous errors, the guys who I think um, have either completely lost the gospel or are so confused that they have no right to be writing books. Okay? And I do not recommend these men, that you read them. And if, if you have a friend who's reading their books, I highly encourage you to try to engage them in conversation, especially if they're touting their books or recommending their books, because uh, we do not agree with their fundamental assertions, and I think you'll see why. So this guy's Matthew Bates, and in his criticism of Greg Gilbert, he begins by saying, what John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, Albert Moeller, and others associated with them have been asserting to be the heart of the gospel is not even part of the gospel in scripture. And they have been getting the framework and the heart of the gospel wrong. Now you don't have to agree with everything that MacArthur, Piper, etc. say. But what, one thing that's hard to deny is that these men have devoted their entire lives to being crystal clear about the central message of scripture, about the gospel message. And he is saying that they are absolutely wrong. Well, what is it that they get wrong? He says that the gospel proper is what the king has done for us, apart from whether you or I have responded. In the scripture, the gospel is the narrative of how Jesus came to be enthroned as the savior king. It's taken a bit for me to try to get my mind around what these guys are getting at in these passages this week. And I thought, are we just going back and forth about semantics? Are we just arguing over words? Is it just a matter of emphasis? Well, according to Bates himself, that's not the case. He says, those who think that this is just people talking past one another with no theological or practical payoff, uh, pro they probably have the most to learn. So he is denying himself that this just isn't semantics. He is saying that those who we at least agree with on the central message of the gospel and have been defenders of it are completely wrong. Um, so, according to his own words, um, that's the, this is a big deal, and this is substantial disagreement. So, what is he saying? Now, this isn't his words, but he directly linked to this and said that this guy goes deeper into what he's saying. And he um, begins by <coughs> quoting Gilbert. So, this right here is a quote from Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel? Indeed, I believe that one of the greatest dangers the body of Christ faces today... <laughs> is to rethink and re-articulate the gospel in a way that makes it center something other than the death of Jesus on the cross in the place of sinners. And that's what they, these guys are taking issue with. And they say, per personally, I don't think that the center is the death of Jesus on the cross in the place of sinners, substitutionary atonement. I think that Jesus Christ himself is the center. Jesus, Christology, is central, not personal salvation, soteriology. And this is what I was beginning to uh, talk about uh, with Lois a little bit earlier, that they want to say that if you make the gospel about faith in Christ, now you've made the gospel about you. You've put yourself 
at the center of it, and I'm just like, Jesus, like it's all about Jesus. It's all about, about he, he did the work, and he saves us into everlasting relationship to him as his people. But if it's not about him saving us, what did he even come to earth to do? If it's secondary, like, why does so much in the scripture make that work of him bringing us in, why is that so central to what the Bible says about the gospel? And then there's this interesting picture. Ignore the part about the gospel coalition. The point right here is that they're saying that reformed theology is the ball and chain holding the gospel coalition back from a, a adequate understanding of the gospel, that the emphases of traditional reformed theology are holding us back from being able to read. They're accusing us of holding tradition above scripture. And they're saying that you guys read the Bible through the lens of your reformed theology, of your reformed dogmatics, through the lens of your confessions, and that's preventing you from being able to see that the gospel is simply that Jesus is king. Oh, they, they actually, this guy particular, I don't, can't say for Bates and McKnight, this guy actually says the Catholics are closer to understanding the gospel than us. So, I mean, maybe that would have been enough to just say, throw these guys out. So, Scott McKnight, he's a little bit more, um, he's a little less uh, overt in how offensive he is than Matthew Bates, but no less uh, dangerous. He said, it is not that we deny the truth, of what Gilbert and his associates teach about salvation, but that their ordering of the gospel is not identical to the gospel as presented in the New Testament. Their gospel, no matter how you cut the cards, is closer to the four spiritual laws, the bridge, the sinner's prayer gospel. We don't think that's how the gospel is understood in the New Testament. First of all, <coughs> yeah, I, in one sense we're going to agree, but like there's a lot in these traditional evangelical uh, presentations that we agree with because they do put the atonement at the middle of them, but we're also not going to go to Matt defending every aspect of these tr- traditional evangelical presentations. There are some aspects of them which we would not fully agree with um, for spiritual laws. I honestly am not super familiar with these. That's one that, like, yeah, there's parts of that that I'm not super satisfied with. Um, so it's somewhat of a straw man against us uh, to say that that's exactly it, but what these approaches have in common is they st- each of those approaches does put the cross at the center of the biblical message, and that's where we would agree with them. Scott McKnight also says that making justification central is a problem. To begin with, it tends to be explanatory. One can make everything central if one uses it to explain everything else. But it is unbiblical because one finds the term justification three times in the Gospels. And these guys use a lot of these uh, fallacious arguments where saying that the number of times something is referenced all of a sudden means that it can't be central. And I don't know why that has to be the case. Does quantity always equate centrality? And there's a lot of fallacious thinking, but it's subtle. And it's the kind of thing that even when I'm reading it, you're reading along and say, I get what you're saying. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes they latch on to maybe a common question that you've never heard answered. And then they've present a at least semi-compelling response to it, and they can suck you in, especially if you haven't spent time thinking about these things. Probably the most, and so these are the, he, this is the third of the more offensive guys, the guys that I take bigger issue with, is N.T. Wright, uh, also probably the most well-known, and the thing about him is he, he helps make that connection between this faulty understanding 
of the gospel, making the, the gospel of the kingdom first and foremost uh, with mission. And here he says, the mission of the church is nothing more or less than the outworking and the power of the spirit of Jesus' bodily resurrection. It is the anticipation of the time when God will fill the earth with his glory, transform the old heavens and earth into the new, and raise his children from the dead to populate and rule over the redeemed world he has made. So again, he wants to make the broad aspect of the gospel central and then salvation, forgiveness, what Christ accomplished on the cross, secondary, and then he's going to use that to undergird a call to social action, the evangelicals. So we're pretty much out of time, but what I did next was I had quotes from guys that are closer to home. I don't think that these guys deny that the kingdom of the cross, I mean the gospel of the cross, is central, but they, they focus on both. And I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, and unfortunately I think they oftentimes do that in the wrong way. And in each of these guys, they appeal to this bigger picture of the gospel as a way of tying social action, making social action a central part of what it means to be a faithful Christian. Because if you talk about the renewed earth and the renewed cosmos being part of the gospel, then they try to connect these dots saying that we should then be part of that. So, do you have enough for another lesson? I could stretch it out. So yeah, you can sit next week too. Okay. Think up questions or stories that you might want to throw in as extra illustrations. Alex already has one ready to go if I run out of time next week. So um, yeah, let's just do that. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you that we have time to be here together. I ask that you would, uh, even right now, be uh, reminding us of the truth, the centrality of what Jesus did for us, the very, that he has brought us into his family, and it's because of what he has done that we can gather together and worship him as king and come before you with boldness. I pray that you would prepare our hearts to worship, that you would be strengthening P2, and that we will have open minds and open ears to receive the good things that you would have to give to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.